0: Okay, we're continuing together our study of chapter 30 in our confession of faith on the subject of the Lord's Supper. Now, previously we've looked at paragraphs 1 and 2. Paragraph 1 dealt with the institution of the Lord's Supper and paragraph 2 dealt with the nature of the Lord's Supper. Now, today we proceed to paragraphs 3 and 4, which are really a unit. They talk about the procedures for the Lord's Supper. The procedure that we go through, the ritual if you will, that we go through when we observe the Lord's Supper. And paragraph 3 talks about the right way to do it and paragraph 4 talks about the wrong way to do it. And of course paragraph 4, like paragraph 2, is a polemic against the Roman Catholic perversion of the procedure for Uh, observing um, the Lord's Supper. So, what we want to do together then is to read paragraphs um, 3 and 4, and then we'll begin a study of them together uh, this morning. So, it says in uh, chapter uh, 3, pardon me, in chapter 30 in in paragraph 3, it says, The Lord Jesus hath in this ordinance... appointed his ministers to pray and bless the elements of bread and wine and thereby to set them apart from a common to a holy use and to take and break the bread, to take the cup and they communicating also themselves to give both, that is both the bread and the cup, to the communicants. So, what we have in this paragraph is a setting forth of how the Lord's Supper is to be observed in terms of its procedures. That's the proper observation set forth in paragraph 3. Now, in paragraph 4, we have the perverted observation. It says, The denial of the cup to the people, worshipping the elements, the lifting of them up, the carrying them about for adoration and reserving them for any pretended religious use are all contrary to the nature of this ordinance and to the institution of Christ. And of course, that's just simply a description of what the Catholics do when they observe the Lord's Supper, uh, their communion service. So we'll talk about that down the road. But today we want to focus together on paragraph um, three, which talks about the proper procedures for observing the Lord's Supper. Now, it's important for us to understand that this ordinance is not to be carried out according to the whim or the fancy of any human or any humanly devised technique. In 1 Corinthians 11.23, Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. And so Paul is telling us that it's the Lord who established the pattern and the procedure at this meal. And our job, like Paul's job, is to carry out the procedures for the observation of the Lord's Supper in exactly the way that the Lord himself indicated that it ought to be done. So what we want to do then is talk about the various steps of this procedure uh, that we are to engage in as we observe the Lord's Supper. So first of all let's talk about the consecration of the elements. The consecration of the elements. It says in our confession the Lord Jesus has in this ordinance appointed his ministers to pray and bless the elements of bread and wine, and thereby set them apart from a common to a holy use. Now, without turning to the passages, I'll just read them to you. Um, We've read them numerous times. By now you're very familiar with them. It says in Matthew 26, 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it. So he didn't just take bread. He took bread and he did something with it. He consecrated it. It says he blessed it. And that means to invoke a benediction upon it. In Luke twenty two nineteen, 19, it says he took the bread and gave thanks. And in Matthew 26, 27, it says, and he took the cup and gave thanks. So what we have as we survey the uh, gospel narratives regarding the Lord's Supper is that Jesus took these ordinary elements of bread and wine, which were nothing special in and of themselves. And he marked them out for an extraordinary use by means of prayer with reference to them. And so he took the bread and he took the wine and he prayed over it. And by praying over these things, he was consecrating them or setting them apart for um, an extraordinary use. And so this prayer was the means of setting them apart. From mere ordinary elements that make up a physical meal to being invested with an extraordinary symbolic significance that they did not have before. And so it was this failure to discern that extraordinary significance of these elements that was the problem at Corinth. You remember in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul is is chastising the Corinthians for the way in which they're observing the Lord's Supper. And he says to them, you are not discerning uh, the Lord's body. And what he meant is that they were not discerning that these elements represented the Lord's body. They viewed the bread and the wine as common and ordinary elements of mere human nourishment. And this is what made their partaking of these elements unworthy. They were partaking of them in an unworthy fashion in that they were viewing them without seeing this extraordinary significance that they had been invested with as a result of them being prayed over. And so therefore both the bread and the wine need to be set apart by declaration and by prayer of thanksgiving for the purpose that they represent." Um, In Acts 2.46, there's an interesting statement there in which there is a clear distinction made between the breaking of bread in the communion service and the eating of the food for ordinary nourishment. And so we see that the Lord's Supper is something other than the partaking of physical nourishment. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, it says, And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their food with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, etc., So there was the breaking of the bread, which was the communion service, and then there was the eating of meat or the food from uh, house to house and eating their food with gladness and singleness of heart. So um, the breaking of bread, which was the Lord's Supper and the eating of meat, which was for personal nourishment, were... um, recognized as distinct and separate activities, even though they both involve the consumption of foodstuffs. And so we see then that Jesus, as we look at these examples in the Gospels, set apart the bread and he set apart the wine by his prayer and blessing over them. It says he blessed them, he prayed over the bread, and he prayed over the wine. But he didn't just pray over these elements, though he did do that. He also made direct statements about them. He said regarding the bread, this is my body which is broken for you. And he said regarding the wine, this is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So here's these ordinary elements, bread and wine, that are nothing more than mere nourishment. And he engages in some ceremonial procedures. He prays over them and then he makes some direct statements about them. Okay. And what he was saying when he said regarding the bread, this is my body, which is broken for you. And when he said regarding the wine, this is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you. He was saying... These things, this bread and this wine now has a special symbolic significance. They represent specific, defined, physical realities, namely my body and my blood. And he's saying to them, I want you to view these elements now, not just as bread and wine, though they are and remain that, I want you to view them as symbols of something else. I want you to view them as symbols of my body and blood, and they are to help you remember me. And as you look on them, let them provoke your thoughts to focus upon my person and my work. Now, ordinarily, when you sit down at the table and there's food in front of you, And you look at that food, it provokes your thoughts to the idea that, wow, this is really going to taste good. And my tummy's going to feel a lot better when it's done. Right? Okay. When you look on the food on an ordinary table, that's what goes through your mind. That's what provokes, is provoked in your mind. Well, when you look at the elements at the Lord's Supper, those things too are to provoke thoughts. But the thoughts aren't what's this going to taste like. And how many calories am I going to get? And am I going to feel full when I'm done? What it's to provoke you to think about is the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, we see then that by blessing the elements by prayer and thanksgiving and by direct statement regarding the elements, this is my body, this is my blood, These ordinary elements were thereby invested with an extraordinary and elevated significance in the mind of the disciples. Therefore, it follows that when we, Sovereign Grace Bible Church, celebrate the Lord's Supper, we too need to engage in these kinds of acts as we follow the example of the Lord Jesus in how we are to observe the Supper. And therefore, it is important that we have a prayer of dedication and thanks with reference to the elements. And I do that. Okay. I uh, say, you know, let's pray. And I thank God for the elements. And I declare that we recognize them as symbols of body of blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, you've heard me do that. Many, many, many times if you've attended here any length of time. So we have this prayer of dedication and thanks of consecration. And then we also have um, an explanation of what these elements uh, mean. And uh, we I, I, I go down and, and I, I take the element and I, I have a talk about the element. And I explain that this is symbol of his body. This is the symbol of his blood. and This is what did these things mean to us. And so the effect of these actions of prayer and explanation is that the participants then will have a proper understanding about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And these actions invest these elements with their proper meaning and significance and helps the believer to um, enter fully into a proper participation in the Lord's Supper and understanding of its meaning and of its message and of its purpose. So this then is, is an essential element, that there be a prayer of consecration, of dedication, of thanksgiving of the elements, and then there be a declaration of what these elements are, and what they mean. And that's why we do the things we do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, okay? So that's the first thing that that is supposed to transpire in the ceremony of the Lord's Supper is that there is to be a consecration of the elements. But there's not just supposed to be a consecration of the elements by prayer and declaration, there's also supposed to be a distribution of the elements. There's supposed to be a distribution of the elements. Now notice it says in paragraph 3, the Lord Jesus has in this ordinance appointed his ministers to, here's the consecration, pray and bless the elements of bread and wine, and thereby set them apart from a common to a holy use. And now here's the distribution, and to take and break the bread, to take the cup, and they communicating also themselves to give both to the communicants. So you consecrate the elements and then you distribute the elements. Okay? That's what Jesus did, right? I mean, what did he do? He consecrated the elements, he prayed, he explained, and then he distributed. Okay? That's why we do it the way we do it, okay? So, first of all, there's the distribution of the bread. Matthew 26, 26, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples. Now, those were the actions that he engaged in. He took the bread and broke it and gave it to the disciples. Now, the breaking of the bread is a highly symbolic act It is an indispensable part of the communion service and it should never be omitted. There's a great emphasis on this act, not only by the gospel narratives, but also by the statements in 1 Corinthians and also in the book of Acts. For example, in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16, Paul says, the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread. So clearly, the breaking of the bread has a significance in terms of the issue of the unity of the believers and that shared unity which they enjoy. And then in Acts 2 and verse 42. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. This issue of the breaking of the bread at the communion service was so significant that it became a term to describe the entire service. And then in Acts 20 and verse 7, it says, on the first day of the week, When the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached to them. And so this breaking of the bread came to uh, refer to the entire church service. (laughs) It was so significant. So the point is, is that the breaking of the bread, that act, is highly significant and should never be omitted in the observation of the communion service. The breaking of the bread symbolizes our unity, okay? Where we all partake of the same loaf. Jesus had uh, a loaf of bread there and he, uh, it was one and it was broken up into many, but all partook of that one loaf thus symbolically declaring the unity that the believers had with each other. It symbolizes, of course, the breaking of Christ's body for us. His body was broken on the cross. Now, none of his bones were broken, but his body was broken in that. His spirit was broken away from his body. And, of course, that was the cause of his death. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And um, then um, it was clearly, as we have said, the example of the apostles, 1 Corinthians 10.16, the bread which we break, we apostles. Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? It was commanded by Christ. He says, this do in remembrance of me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24, it says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So Jesus himself not only took the bread and broke it, okay, but he also said, By the way, this is broken. For you. So Christ Himself made a big deal, not only in His actions, but also in His words, about the fact that this was broken. And then um, it's interesting to note that the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is more often called by this name, the breaking of bread, than it is by any other name. In other words, if you you remember, we went through the the, uh, four biblical names for the Lord's Supper. The breaking of bread is the one that occurs most often, far more often than the Lord's Supper, uh, far more often than communion. And uh, so consequently, um, far more often than the Lord's table. And so consequently, these biblical terms of all of them, the breaking of bread is the one that is the most prominent and most frequently used. So this breaking of bread is intended to be a sign and the sign must be visible to the people. And that's why you see me walk down here and I pick up a piece of bread and I say, on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And you see me go snap and break the bread in half. And that's the reason why I do that. Okay. Um, it's not just something to do to fill the time. It's something that is, is required of us to do. Well, once we we break the bread, what do we do then with it? Well, we give it to every one of you. You all take it and I take it. And that's what our confession says, that they are to take and break the bread and give it both to themselves and also to to the people, the communicants is the language here. All right? So, first of all, the bread is distributed, but it needs to be broken before it's distributed. Now, we come then to the distribution of the cup. And uh, <clears throat> in Matthew 26 and verse 27, it says, And he, that is Jesus, took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, that is the 11 that were in the room, saying, drink you all of it. Or it could also be translated, all of you drink of it. In other words, what he was doing is he was saying, don't any of you omit drinking of of the cup. Now, there's no indication in the narrative in any of the Gospels that the wine was poured in the presence of the disciples. It only says that he took the cup, which already had wine in it, and declared its significance, and then commanded all of them to partake of it. Now, whether they all drank out of the same cup, or whether they poured from it into their own cups and then drank it, we are not told. It is certain that they each had cups at the meal, just like we do when they celebrated the Passover. There wasn't just one cup on the table. Every participant would have a cup ordinarily. Um, But what we are told is that they were all to drink of it. And how that exactly occurred, uh, we are not sure. Um, Did they all drink out of one cup, pass it all around, and all share germs? Well, maybe they did. Folks weren't too conscious of germ theory back in those days, didn't even understand it. Um, We choose not to do that. We have a bunch of individual cups that are already poured. Uh, but nevertheless, um, that particular detail is not set forth. And um, therefore, it's not something that we make um, uh, necessary that we would all drink out of out of one cup. I've been to communion services where they've done that. Um, so we have the consecration of the elements. We have the distribution of the elements. It's interesting to note that Jesus gave the Apostles both the bread and the wine. Neither element was withheld. And when we get to paragraph four, we're going to see that the Catholic Church denies the cup to the people. When I grew up as a Roman Catholic, I uh, took communion hundreds of times, literally, and was never given any wine ever. Only the priests consumed the wine. The people never did so. Now, it's my understanding that in recent years, there's been some modification of that. I haven't darkened the door of a Roman Catholic church in uh, 25 years or more. Uh, But um, I think on occasion, perhaps, they have the people drink out of the cup. I've heard that they use, like, a big cup. And the people line up, and a person takes a drink, and they wipe the rim of the cup. And the next person drinks out of the cup, and they wipe the rim of the cup. and um, I, <clears throat> I don't think I could handle that personally, but that's the way they do it. All right. So we have the consecration of the elements. We have the distribution of the elements. And then we have <clears throat> the consumption of the elements. The consumption of the elements. It says... <clears throat> They are to take the cup, and they, communicating also themselves, give both the bread and the cup to the communicants. Now, it's clear from the gospel narratives that these elements were physically eaten. The command was, this is my body, take and eat. This is my blood, take and eat. Drink. So the words eat and drink were specifically used. They all partook of them and none were excused. All were commanded to participate and they all partook of both elements. And so the Roman practice of giving only the bread and not the cup is without any biblical warrant. They received it and they ate it with their own hands. Jesus didn't place it in their mouth for them. It was their own voluntary act. Now, if you go to a Roman Catholic church and they serve you communion, you never get to touch the bread with your hand. You know why? Because you're not fit to touch the literal body of Jesus Christ. Only the priest is fit to do that. Only he's pure enough to touch the wafer so you stick out your tongue like this and they and they place it on your, on your, on your tongue and um, you never touch it you're not supposed to touch it it's wrong for you to touch it i guess i don't know what the difference is between touching it with your tongue and touching it with your fingers but it's all part of the it's all part of the superstition So they all partook of these elements. They all partook of both of these elements. And they all partook of both elements corporately. In other words, they did it when they were gathered together as a group. That is, this wasn't some private exercise where somebody at home decided, I'm going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so he gets out his bread and he gets out his wine and he prays over it and he serves himself. It was never done that way. Okay. It says in Acts 20 and verse 7, on the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. And so it was the activity of the whole church. And we've talked about this before up in paragraph one, where it says that um, the supper is to be observed in his churches. And so we see that, um, They all partook of both elements in a corporate setting, not in an individual private setting. And then fourthly, they all partook of each element separately. In other words, the bread and the wine weren't mixed together. They took the bread, got all done with that, and then they took the wine and got all done with that. So the bread and the wine were not to be mixed together. Now, believe it or not, in Greek Orthodox churches, that's how they do it. They mix the bread and the wine together into kind of a goo, (laughs) And then you eat that. Um, Or they might take the host, okay? And and the priest has like the chalice here with the wine in it. And he has the host, right? And he'll dip the host in the wine and then he'll serve it to the person. So you get the wine and the bread uh, together at the same time. Okay? And uh, it was probably done because it was more efficient to do that than to allow all the people to drink out of the cup and great problems with that. So anyway, there's all sorts of perversions of this ordinance. It's a very simple ordinance. There's no reason to do these things. So we see with reference the consumption of the elements. They all partook. They all partook of both elements. They all partook of both elements corporately, and they all partook of each element separately. They didn't mix them together in any way. Took the bread, got done with that, and then took the wine and got done with that. Now. These actions of eating and drinking are also symbolic. They symbolize our reception of Christ by faith into our lives and declare that we are participants in the benefits of his broken body and his shed blood on the cross. Just like it says in um, Gospel John chapter one and verse. 11 and 12, it says he came unto his own and his own received him not, but to as many as received him to them, gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name to receive Christ and to believe on Christ are synonymous. Okay. And so when we take these elements and we eat them, we are receiving them into our physical bodies, just like we receive Christ into our lives. We receive him by believing in him. Okay. So our consumption of the elements symbolizes our reception of Christ by faith. And it declares that we are participants in the benefits of his broken body and his shed blood on the cross. Just like our body partakes of the benefits of the physical bread and wine. So our souls partake of the benefit, the spiritual benefit of his actual body and his blood. And so our eating is a declaration of our commitment to him, our fellowship with him and our communion with each other. By our eating, we are declaring by our actions, the Lord's death and all that it means to us and for us until he comes. And therefore, what each person does during the Lord's Supper, both the one who administers it and those who receive it has a symbolic significance. So by your partaking, your symbolic act of taking that and eating it, you are making a profound declaration of truth about Jesus' body and blood And your relationship to that truth that you are believing and trusting in the one whose body was broken and whose blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. So that then uh, is the consumption of the elements. Now, there's a a fourth element that we want to look at. We want to see not only the consecration of the elements the distribution of the elements and the consumption of the elements. Fourthly, we want to consider together the conclusion of the supper. How did this thing end? And how should our Lord's suppers end? Now it says in Matthew 26 and verse 30, and it also says in Mark 14:26. parallel passages, same exact language, It says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. When they got done, they sang a gospel hymn. And so they concluded the service with a song of praise to God. Now, we don't know what they sang. It's certain that what they sang was something out of the book of Psalms. What exactly they sang, we can't say for sure. But the point is, is that they concluded the communion service with a hymn of praise and worship and thanksgiving to God. And so for us to conclude the service with appropriate hymns is entirely fitting and entirely proper. Music expresses the meaning of what we have done and experienced in a way that words are simply not capable of doing. And so it was customary to say during the Passover meal, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, those are the Psalms that were spoken during the Passover meal because they chronicle um, events in the life of, of Israel and God's dealings with them. And it was probably one of those Psalms that was sung At the conclusion. But there's no indication as to exactly which one it is. So that's the ceremony of the Lord's Supper. It's a very simple service. And yet it's very profound in its meaning. And we have to be careful to follow the pattern carefully and properly. And add nothing to it. Nor should we take anything away from it. It's obvious that there must be an informed, thoughtful, and intelligent participation in these things if their purpose is going to be accomplished. And so it demands mental awareness. It demands mental involvement. But when we do understand the Lord's Supper and we do properly participate in it, it becomes a time that is filled with instruction and meaning and great blessing. And so these then are the procedures for the proper observation of the Lord's Supper. Um, there is uh, the consecration of the elements. There's the distribution of the elements. There's the consumption of the elements. And then there is concluding with the hymn of praise. So... I hope that that helps you to understand why I do the things I do and the steps that I take and and the reason why those are all done in that fashion and why they're not to be done in any other fashion. You know, uh, when it comes to our worship of God, we don't make it up as we go along. The regulative principle of worship says we look in the Bible, see how God did it, how he has declared he wants it done, and we do it his way. And we don't add anything to that. We don't take anything away from it. So that's why our communion service works the way it does. Okay, any questions or comments or observations? Eric? Is there any importance to the order of the elements? the body first coming? Um, There is. I'm not sure what it is. But in every instance, the the body always goes first, the bread always goes first, and the cup always goes second. But what the significance of that order is, I don't know, but certainly we don't have the liberty to reverse that order. But I don't know why Jesus instituted that order. somebody has a guess, I'd be interested in entertaining. I've actually never even given it any thought. It's the first time it's ever been brought to my mind. Did you have a question, Ryan? Okay. All right, any other questions or comments? Yeah, you know, in all my reading on this subject, and I've read it a lot, I've never even heard that addressed or brought up. That's very interesting. I'll give that some thought. Okay, all right, well, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this simple ceremony that you've given to us. Simple in form and function, but profound in meaning and significance. Lord, we pray that you might help us to uh, engage in the proper procedures in the observation of the Lord's Supper, but not just stop with that and be content with that, but also enter fully into the meaning and significance in our hearts and minds so that we see and grasp and understand um, what it is we're doing what it is we're celebrating, and especially who it is that we are remembering. May Jesus be exalted in our communion service and, and properly remembered. And may he be pleased um, as we sit down at his supper with our conduct at his table, as we commune with him and break bread with him. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.